and like I nuked my old account and I was like, Twitter sucks and I hate it and I don't want it. I'm <laughs> never going back. And I was like really happy for a couple months. And then I was like, <laughs> I wonder what's going on in that shithole. So I started a new account, which was this one. And, uh, and yeah, I heard like some shit went down and, uh, and I kept trying to ask around. I, um, <laughs> and then, uh, somebody said it on a podcast finally. And so Eagleton was supporting Sheriff Arpaio. Oh. And, um, Oof. yeah. And basically Pete Raymond called him out and called him a about it and um yeah <laughs> how could you call yourself libertarian and support that guy i know i know i've tried to listen to, I, I listened to the show a couple times and i'm like all right so he was a marine and then a cop which is fine you know whatever but he <laughs> seems like he still thinks like a cop i didn't know he used to be a cop actually yeah i think he was a sheriff's a sheriff's deputy or something and then he started going on that whole weird like wealth power and influence stuff like are you gonna start selling books and like are you can make a million dollars if you buy my book i'm like yeah <laughs> the, the trick is sell a million books <laughs> <laughs> and uh i don't know it was just weird i just couldn't listen to it anymore I think he probably at some point was really good at bringing on new libertarians at least. And I don't know if he still does that. I don't really hear about many people saying that. No, I came in through a weird way with, with, uh, Owen Benjamin. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, is he I, a Holocaust denier? I don't know. Dude, dude went, <laughs> I haven't listened to him in like a year. Like, when he got a, when he got canceled, man, he kind of he kind of like opened a can of crazy sauce or something. I don't know, <laughs> but I used to listen to Louder to Crowder when I was still a statist, and then Owen Benjamin was on there, and I was like, that dude's hilarious, and because <laughs> the stand up is funny, and uh, or was funny, um, and then he went on he went on Dave Smith's podcast. And it was like Dave Smith, Michael Malice, and him. And then so I found Dave Smith, Michael Malice, and yeah, found everybody else. And now I'm a, I guess I'm a libertarian. I don't even know. <laughs> I just think the state sucks and I want them to go away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the dude who wants to be left alonest. Don't be a dictatorian. Yeah. <laughs> that that's that's it. That's it. Yeah. It I guess really I is. um I was talking to I don't know if you heard the episode I did with um Pastor Steve, but I basically decided I'm a voluntarist because I started I was kind of picked up the Bible and started reading that again. And I'm like, wait, God's a voluntarist. So yeah, that's what I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna do that too. <laughs> I think like from the way Pat explains it, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. And then like, I'll talk like, I like Jason Hornberger, who's 
a minarchist, but he's a radical minarchist. So I guess you could say Ron Paul kind of is too. But you as know. a Ron Paul convert, <laughs> yeah, I was like, and I, I hate twelve. I hated him at that time. Really? Oh, were you like a Rudy Giuliani fan or something? No, I was just I was dealing with military, like the you know for my military service, and so I was still sorting through all that. And then he was like, "It's our fault." I'm like, "Shut up!" <laughs> <laughs> but but now you know it took me a lot of years to kind of be like, yeah, no, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> right about damn near everything. But yeah, somebody told me to listen to him and it was done. I was just like, Oh man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of people are anarchist or whatever, but you know, I'll take, I'll take a minarchist like Ron Paul. who gets you 98% there then you can just argue how, how to privatize the rest of it. You know, I don't really love labels. Cause I feel like you could say I'm a voluntarist and people would be like, okay, well, what about this? And they ask you about some like doctrine or philosophical work and you can't explain it. And then they gatekeep you and yeah. it just gets, just gets too complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way because like at first I was like yeah I'm an anarchist and I'm like eh, no no I guess I'm not I'm like I don't know I'm like I agree with a, a <laughs> bunch of it but I think the other day asked me so you still you know so you're a voluntarist I'm like ah eh, that's what I what I put on there they're like well, what are you I'm like I don't give a shit <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a don't give a shit Italian like it doesn't you know I spent so many years trying to sort it out and figure out who I am and I'm like it's it's not a religion geez it's just a bunch of assholes that um <laughs> tweet all day yeah that tweet all day or you know as far as political stuff I'm like it's just a bunch of sociopaths that want to rule over other people and I'm just not that interested that's kind of <laughs> where I'm at it's probably just because I'm exhausted <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't want to you know I was talking to my wife about it and she's like you know quit getting twisted up about stuff you can't control. She's like, you can't control that. You can't control what's going to happen, you know, at the federal level, state level, whatever. She's like, you can control what's in arm's reach. And she's like, worry about that. And I was like, you know, it's not a bad way to go. (laughs) (laughs) If you organize properly and build a big enough coalition, you can control it, but that takes a lot of work. (laughs) Yes. And it's like herding cats. Um, yeah so i don't know apparently all all the the neighbors on either side of me and like across the street we were all hanging out one night and drinking some beers and i knew i drank too much and then i asked my wife i'm like did you do anything i go did i do anything dumb she goes no but you had all the guys around you and you were talking about why the state is evil and she's you were talking about murray rothbard and like all that. I'm like, i don't remember any of it but apparently it stuck it struck a chord or something because like over the last couple of weeks like they'll each individually come over and start asking me questions that they see me out in the yard <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah i'm like cool <laughs> i guess i said something that made sense but maybe rare. like a year or two ago, I started getting my aunt interested in things like um, 
like the confession tapes and I had her watch like or listen to some podcasts about like uh, corruption in the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. And she kept asking me, she's like, well, I didn't know they can do that. I didn't know they could, you know, get those kinds of confessions. And wow, I looked up the innocence project mm-hmm. and like just various like things like that. She would ask me questions and it was like a really long process. And then one night I was just at my apartment and I was drinking and I got a text message and she was like, when I tell people I'm a prison abolitionist and I'm like, is my phone glitching? Who's texting me this? So I like restarted my phone and it was like, it's still my aunt. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what the heck? Am I having a stroke right now? <laughs> I was like so confused. And I was like, she's really telling people that like, awesome. That's pretty rad. And yeah, and that's what I was, that's why I wanted to um, have you on the show. Cause you reached out with some info to me and to me, this seems like something that's much more um, attainable as in um, making progress mm-hmm. uh, because there's a lot of people, regardless of their political backgrounds, they're all about this, you know? Um, yeah. Especially some of the old school uh, liberals that have been doing this for a hell of a long time. Um, it's just, to me, it's much more interesting and um I would say a a lot more serious things that um, we should probably focus on right now is uh, trying to get the criminal justice or justice system sorted out. Yeah. Which the DOJ that, you know, I guess it can be argued that is unconstitutional in the first place Um, (laughs) because nowhere in the constitution does it give authority to the federal government to conduct law enforcement activities. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. One of my friends, he told me like a year ago, maybe, he said, is anarchy about being free or is it about being anti-state? Like one begets the other in the meantime, Mm -hmm. uh, or one begets the other, but in the meantime, it makes a difference. And I think that really applies to criminal justice because sometimes you might have to, like if it comes to like prosecutor elections or something, like getting involved there, maybe Mm -hmm. it's not totally pure, but it is a spot like that we could seriously make some difference and free people, like help them with their lives. I agree. I agree. Cause you, you know, especially now with, you know, how plea bargains work, what is it? 94% of all convictions in this country are from plea bargains. Yeah. I think, um, like I have the number here. It's it. I think it's ninety four percent. Something crazy like that. Yeah, ninety four percent. And so, like the latest data was twenty sixteen, uh, and seventeen million cases went through criminal courts, and ninety four percent of those were resolved with plea deals. And that's ridiculous. And you could be, you know, someone who knows they're innocent, knows they didn't do it, but you don't have the money to fight. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Bail is like most people when um, I don't know the exact percentages, but they're more likely to be uh, convicted or take a plea deal, I guess, if bail is set. Because if you can't, for some people, $250 bail or it's usually more than that doesn't seem like a big deal. But in extreme like poverty cases, that's everything and you can't pay that and you're told you know 
your trials in a week, you lose your job, lose your housing. And so you take a plea deal instead of even if you're innocent. Yeah, just to avoid well that. And if you do want to fight, um, the state doesn't like it when you fight back. And so they'll start tacking on a lot of crazy time, uh, sentences and charges and things like that. Um, they do it all the time, especially in like low, low level drug cases and things like that. But even on the high end, look what they did to uh, Lori Laughlin, everyone else in that whole stupid ass ordeal, um, you know, pled out, got like two weeks and she was going to fight it. And they were going to hit her with like 60 years. That's when you learn it's about power and not safety. Yeah, it's, that's all it is. I mean, hell, like, you know, look at the drug, the drug laws and things like that. They were fighting to, um, to get some sort of legal legalization done in Florida or no, I'm sorry, in Georgia where I'm at. And they had people come and testify on behalf and against, and it was a whole lot of against. And the, the, the witness that testified that really got it pushed over was the representative from the bail bonds association. Oh, I am not sure if you saw the story at the bottom of the notes about the 16 year old kid who robbed the restaurant with his friends. Yeah. Um, and I can't, I didn't put his name in the notes and I feel bad about that, but I think it was on, I think the story was on the appeal. Um, but he robbed, he, they robbed a restaurant and one of the friends, uh, beat the owner. Um, and the plea deal was one year in jail, two years of probation. And the 16 year old was told if he took it to trial, he'd be charged in his adult and, uh, face life sentence without parole. So mm-hmm. if it was about safety, like the disparity between those, like plead guilty one year, but if you don't plead guilty, maybe you're somehow more dangerous or something, I guess they're like, they're considering uh, life without parole. Yeah. And that's yeah. how they get you. Right. It, I mean, yeah, it's it's insane. And like you said, it's not, about, it's not about safety. It's about pumping numbers up for funding. And a lot of these prisons that are privatized, um, I wouldn't say truly private because you have that sort of <laughs> fascistic, uh, connection between pri- um, mm-hmm. private and uh, government. But when a lot of these um, prisons, they have quota um, for occupancy. So, you know, get it just, it's kind of, once you start looking, you see like all these different tiles and you end up looking like the dude from Always Sunny. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's the truth. And then Charlie you know, with the string. Yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> and, but, and you'll start to think that you're crazy that you're seeing this, but it, it's there and it's right out in the open. And at this point, they don't even care to hide it anymore. Cause if you go to look at any state where they're trying to legalize something or strip, you know, get law stricken down, the people that come out and fight it are the ones that are making money off of it. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it was, you know, the, you know, just to, like I said, in my state, it was the bail bonds association. It was the, um, 
was it the um I'm brain farting now but yeah, <laughs> bureau of prisons um uh, like all the lobbying yeah all the lobbyists things. you know for the, yeah. you know the police the prosecutors association like all these people they, they were the ones coming out and fighting against legalizing and it's mm-hmm. always it's always them and i'm like well if this this isn't about criminal justice this is about money it's they call it like the prison industrial complex you know there's like a military one there's prison one and yeah. it's there's also well. like yeah oh yeah there's also um not even just like those things but the vendors that sell to the prisons like the technology and the food for the commissary they also lobby for harsher stuff i do it's ridiculous you know there's so many people that are in prison nonviolent crimes and it's you know and we call them you know victimless crimes and it's weird i was having a conversation with somebody and i was talking about victimless crimes and they're like well if someone goes and breaks in somebody's car that's victimless i'm like no it's the dude that owns the car is the victim (laughs) well even how okay so if we freed everybody in jail for drug crimes or like victimless crimes um we're still in like the top 30 of the yeah. world uh, for like mass incarceration. So like even how we handle crimes with victims needs to be done a little differently. Our peer nations, uh, the average prison sentence is four years. Ours is just like super arbitrary. It's, you know, they pull it out of the hat basically. Yeah. Depends, is there a prosecutor election coming up? Uh, is this political? Like, <laughs> There's all sorts of different factors. Um, which brings me to, I was going to recommend uh, this article by John Pfaff. It's called The Perverse Incentives of Punishment. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's like another thing that the government does. They like, well, really just in any space, like in pretty much every space the government occupies, uh, the incentive is to suck, like to be horrible, uh, to be violent, and the criminal justice system, especially. Yeah, that's what um, was it? Pat from Uncensored Tactical always says, um, "Mediocrity always gets pushed to the top." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I was just trying to think of what I learned. Oh yeah, like um, the forensic science industry or whatever. I just learned. I was watching how to how to do something it's a show on netflix about this woman who botched a bunch of like um crime lab stuff like it was huge but they for certain crime labs they like only get paid if they convict and it's Mm -hmm. just like what kind of incentive is that like the incentive there is to you know fit the science to the outcome yeah so then it's, it's really not a science at all yeah, well, a lot of it, polygraphs, blood splatter, like all of that stuff, like being debunked. Right. I Seems mean, they come up with some fancy new way, and then 10 years later, they're like, oh, yeah, that's really bad. Yeah. There's nothing to it. Yeah, and that, uh, yeah, that's across the board. Even, you know, quote-unquote germ theory, they're not even following the models that they were touting as the standard. You know, they quit doing that 20 years ago. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, and then the polygraph, didn't the guy that invented the polygraph come out it came out and said it's useless 
and then they yeah, I think so. Then, they, then he got convicted of something. <laughs> I think he was I, on, um, I think he was on Felony Fridays. What um, online celebrity? I was listening to that. But yeah, they they he came out and said it was useless, and then was telling people about it. So they they try they convicted him of trying to aid aiding a felony or something like that for <laughs> Jeez, of course for beating t- telling people how to beat a polygraph yeah and in most, in most states it's not even admissible there's um was i said it earlier 17 million cases a mm-hmm. year that go through criminal courts um there's no way that they could do good good police work or whatever on all of those cases <laughs> like, no. No, my wife likes to watch uh, Dateline and all those shows. And uh, there's two two guys that are on those shows that, um, you know, they'll call out the state for being wrong. But there's so many that we've seen where it was just really terrible police work, uh, lazy investigation and like improper um, crime scene management, things like that, chain of custody problems and you know, where they just totally botch it and people go to prison. Oh, my friend, anti-taxer on Twitter and I, we listen yeah. to Case File and um, all the time we'll talk about like, it'll be this horrific case and like a kidnapping. And they'll be like, oh, she's a runaway. And two weeks later, they decide to look for her and it's like a serial killer or something. Like all the time, like <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. And, or they'll prosecute someone, put them in jail. Then it comes out that, you know, the prosecutors hid something, hid exculpatory evidence, which, yeah, you know, which is illegal. Uh, Kamala Harris was guilty of doing that. Uh, Mm -hmm. Keeping people, keeping people in longer than their sentences you know, hiding evidence and things like that. But when that comes out, nothing ever happens to them. Um, but they, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was say, like, <laughs> but no, 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 it's fine. But like nothing happens to the prosecutors. Nothing happens to the police that work that case, you know, mm-hmm. nothing like that. And I'm like, you know, if it comes out that that person was convicted and spent all this time in prison for something they didn't do. And the thing that could have kept them out of prison or that proved that they were innocent was hidden by the prosecutor. Well, I think that prosecutor should assume their sentence. Oh, that's like one of the things with bail. Like sometimes people, they can't afford it and they'll sit four or five years in jail. And I think the same thing there, if they end up, you know, being innocent or they drop the charges like they did with Khalif, uh, I can't remember his last name, uh, the prosecutor should have to. They Usually the prosecutors don't even like visit the jails. They don't even see the result of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They mindlessly send people there and that's the end of their journey yeah and then you get cases where the pot you know prosecution botched the case and so it was a mistrial and then you know there i've seen cases where they've had to go to court or go on trial you know two three four five six times over like 20 years and i'm like no you guys screwed up you don't get to try them again Maybe if you weren't trying to process a whole bunch of bullshit trials and focused (laughs) on the ones that actually mattered, you could do quality work instead of just trying to run the score up. 
And that's uh, like the case I sent you with Curtis Flowers. He was literally tried six times. And I don't even know that any of the trials really got a consistent um, uh, finding or I can't remember the word uh, result uh, in the end. And like the really sucky thing about really any innocent person being convicted is that the guilty person goes free and the victim never really gets justice in the Curtis flowers case. There were four people murdered. One of them was only 16 and it's, it can't be good for them to have to go through six and now eventually a seventh probably trial for, you know, like it's probably like emotionally exhausting. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. And that, and that just goes, you know, especially the prosecutors or the state itself, government never admits that it's wrong. Mm -mm. It can't just say, you know, okay, that's not the guy, you know, they can't say where they screwed up. They'll sit there and they'll just (laughs) run on somebody for 20, 30 years rather than admit they're wrong and then try to, you know, find the truth. The um, the podcast that kind of, I guess, brought the Curtis Flowers story to light, they did really good um, reporters, but podcast reporters, which I think mm-hmm. sets them apart from the blue checks at like CNN. Sure. Um, they did like really good investigative work. And in the course of their investigation for the podcast, they found like new evidence and additional suspects. And then that's like, 20 some years later, just doing really good investigative work. But right. the prosecutor in the beginning, he focused on one guy and just set out to make him guilty. And, you know, it clouded his judgment. I think that happens a lot. I do too. Um, you know, but just because, you know, they, they feel like they have to show that they're closing cases and getting convictions and that's how they get reelected. There was somebody who was just executed last week. He um, was convicted. They didn't have like a motive or Mm -hmm. anything. The guy was with uh, a little granddaughter and they found the woman's body and he was trying to get her away, the granddaughter away from the body and he fell and got blood on his shirt. That was, that was it. They set out to make him guilty after that. Um. I think it's like, part of the prosecutor position being an elected position, they feel this, um, they have to find somebody or they're not going to be reelected. Right. It's just kind of backwards. Like, why do you want to be elected if you're not doing good work? I mean, and I think that that's probably, it plays into like the, we got to find somebody now or people are going to be mad instead of we got to find the right person and to make our community safer. Right. Yeah, it's, it becomes like any other sort of political position, uh, elected position. A lot of times it's, they just want they want to get elected and then they want to stay elected. It's not about what they're actually doing while they're in that position. Mm-hmm. And you see that a lot, even on the small level. Uh, there's a county I used to live in, and man, there was this one person, a little tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... You're in a part-time non-paid position, but good Lord, you think you're ruling the world. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think uh, with, um, yeah, we do a lot of complaining about the criminal justice system, but if people are looking for ways to help, especially like, you know, first policing, that's, you know, if the sink can't fill up if the faucet's turned off, you know? Right. Um, fixed policing. And then I think like bail reform is a really good place to start. And um well, if libertarians, like, imagine if the LP solely focused on pros- prosecutor elections. Like, 85% of prosecutors run unopposed. Like, imagine yes. if that's, if, like, we forgot everything else and every single penny and all that autistic rage <laughs> was mm-hmm. focused on prosecutor elections. Like, we could actually really, like, make a difference in people's lives. <laughs> yeah. I would say, add to that, prosecutor and sheriff. Oh yeah. You know, that's one thing that the, the, I don't want to say the LP, but libertarians in general used to, used to really give veterans and former police officers or police officers crap. You know, it was like, you have no place here or whatnot. I'm like, wouldn't it be, you know, people that are realized what was, you know, wrong and saw the system firsthand, wouldn't you want those people in your organization? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think, I think there's a lot of libertarians that just, they go so hard one way and it's kind of like, I hate, you know, I hate all cops and things like that, or just whatever. There's a lot of former police officers that are now libertarians and like are kind of, you know, a lot of them quit over it, but mm-hmm. those guys would be, those are the guys you want running for <clears throat> sheriff. Because, you know, between that and then, like you said, the prosecutors, that, and that's low, you can go in the city level, county, you know, and like you said, most of them just run unopposed. Well, Um, okay, so like, I didn't realize, I guess, I kind of knew they had power, but I didn't realize how much until it was like four months after uh, reformer DA Larry Krasner was elected. Mm-hmm. He had exonerated 10 people. Um, he didn't, he'd stopped going after the death penalty, like completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the hours, like it was like how many hours of unsupervised or like, you know, like people being on house arrest, mm-hmm. it dropped like 60,000 freaking hours or something ridiculous. And then like the days of people not being in jail, like, because he went through, even, like, he's an extremely progressive, like, liberal, um, Mm -hmm. even gun charges, he decided instead of sending those people to jail, he'd send them to a class, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and just seeing, like, the power just this one person had, Mm -hmm. and he used it for good, that really impressed me, and I was just like, you know what, I know, like, libertarians want pure solutions, like, Mm -hmm. if they yell at people enough, then enough people are going to be growing cucumbers to take down the state, whatever. But sometimes (laughs) like that's not exactly like you're going to have to look for a little less pure, like alternatives. (laughs) Kind of letting, letting, letting perfection get in the way of progress. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way to word it. Instead of like all 6,000 words, I just forgot you. (laughs) No, no, no. That's a gift I have apparently, (laughs) according to my wife. (laughs) <laughs> um, 
makes it hard to write uh, papers for school, but <laughs> like, can I just do it on a three by five card? You'll get the point. No, um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're fine. I was just going to keep going until I found the right words. So <laughs> that was basically it. <laughs> well, it's kind of like you were telling me like all this good stuff he was doing, but that he was a progressive liberal. I'm like, I don't give a crap what the rest of his beliefs are. If what he's doing right there is you know, the right thing. He has a little ticker at the top of his website that marks like the days. Like, I think it might be compared to like his predecessor. You know, mm-hmm. how many year, how many people they had convicted compared to this and the hours sentenced. And it's just insane. Look, 4.5 million people in the United States are wrapped up in the justice system, whether that's mm-hmm. in jail or uh, some sort of surveillance, probation, house arrest. And that costs That's insane. Money. That costs yeah. money too. Um, Bail or house arrest is ten dollars a day. Did you know yeah. that? Like I had no idea until I, had no I idea. looked into the and, and somebody <laughs> that listen, like, that's ten bucks a day. I'm like, that's three hundred dollars a month. You know. Well, like Curtis Flowers was he was bailed out on December nineteenth. It's like the hundred and forty sixth day of this year plus eleven or twelve. For that, that's like uh, almost two thousand dollars. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, just racked up, and you can't like find good employment with convictions. And if you're on house arrest, it's probably even harder. Right. It is really almost set up for you to go back in. Yeah. Oh, it is. <laughs> it's unreal. And you're right. You know, as a as a D- district attorney, you know, they basically decide whether or not something's going to go to court anyway. You know, I've, I've seen cases where I'm like, if it was me, I'd be like, what the hell are you even bringing me this for? You've got nothing. Cut them loose. You know, no, we're not doing this. You know, they can. Every, sorry, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I might be wrong, but I assume that they can decide whether they're even going to take a case or not. They do. They have enormous latitude like when it comes to every stupid case you see, you know, like the five-year-old arrested for hugging his teacher or, you know, but like people being tossed in jail for not mowing the lawn, like every case like that, there's a prosecutor that decided to charge, you know, I think uh, they call it like an executive decision or something. It's like executive power or whatever. Um, but yeah, they have like a lot of space to do that. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And that's before it even gets to a judge, you know, cause a lot of people go, well, judges are important too. I'm like, yeah, but if it never get, even gets to that point, then it's moot. Yeah. It's, um, I, I thought I had, yeah, this is, um, it's generally for the prosecutor to decide which cases should be prosecuted and which should be dropped. It's an executive function, not a judicial function, to prosecute or decline to prosecute a case. And they drop cases all the time if they feel the evidence isn't strong or as a part of a deal, like uh, if a person's willing to snitch on somebody. So, right. you know, you're dangerous unless you're a tattletale, <laughs> then you're less dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. yeah it's like either you arrested them for a reason or you know just because they're willing to tell some tell on somebody then that reason doesn't exist anymore 
Oh, and those people, those jailhouse snitches and whatever, they're like the worst of scum. I don't know if you've ever read Just Mercy or saw the movie, but like the guy in that case, he, they do it a lot of times. Um, was it, it's not, it's not pro, quid pro quo. Um, like they get something out of it. Mm-hmm. And like that guy, part of it, he wanted attention. And the other part was, you know, he, they, they put them on death row, like, while waiting trial, which is just unheard of. And it scared the ever living being hell out of that guy. So he made up all sorts of stuff about the guy and it got him convicted. And it's just like, these people are like the worst of scum. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that, um, goes back to that perverse incentive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scott Horton actually did a podcast with John Pfaff on the mm. perverse incentives of punishment. Totally recommend it. I've listened to it like six times. Yeah, I need to <laughs> go back and look. I really love listening to Scott Horton. That's probably one of my favorite podcasts. That and P- uh, Pete Raymond. Mm-hmm. I was saying, uh, Scott Horton's like really good on war, but like when he rages on criminal justice, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's one of those guys who's like, okay, so what do you think about this? And then you just sit back for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to like when it comes to criminal justice, I do listen to like a lot of leftist podcasts. Mm -hmm. They don't, they can recognize problems really well. Sometimes the solutions, sometimes the solutions are really good, but sometimes they are like, you know, the world would be a better place if, you know, everybody got rid of billionaires, you know, (laughs) that kind of stuff. But the appeal and justice in America are really good podcasts. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've heard, I think it was Scott Horton has said that um, the left views on corporatism and the, no, how was it? I'm going to screw it up. But uh, <laughs> it's basically the left or right have a certain view on a certain thing and they're both right, but their solutions to each are, incre- are both wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the left will say, oh, it's, um, it's the corporations. And it's like the right will say, well, it's, you know, government. And like, you're both right. And they're both in bed together. (laughs) (laughs) We've been like, it is really hard to come up with solutions, especially like when, you know, the monopoly on violence exists and our imaginations have kind of been limited to thinking that the state's hammer of justice is the only solution. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, again, if we weaponized our libertarian rage, that's what I'll call (laughs) it. It's more politically correct Uh, (laughs) in that direction. Um, I think we could really do some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. You know, we could libertarians, if they could just take a break from finding out who the real libertarian is and focus on something like this, it would be, it'd be good. And like Nick Sarwak, he's like a lawyer and he's just, he's being all annoying with the LP. Like go be a prosecutor somewhere. He actually really does care about criminal justice. He does. And when he talks about it, it's always like, Yes, like retweet, do that, be that person. Yeah, I, I, I like <laughs> something he said today. I'm like, that's the chairman I was wanting. You know? <laughs> like, why can't you be like that consistently? But yeah. hey, that's an important thing to be right on. So I'll take, you know, go do that. Yeah, like you said, go do that. That's what you should. Seriously, he could be a prosecutor. Wait, is he in Arizona? Because that's even more enraging because they have like a horrible system there. Yes, they do. And that was that whole thing about you know, Joe Arpaio, the stuff that he, that he was doing there was terrible. 
And I, that's, that's one thing that killed me about when I was a conservative, like what's weird. My views haven't changed. It's just, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm not with them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, some of the, some on the right are just like, yeah, they'll be sorry they ever did that. I'm like, yeah, but you don't know if like, well, if somebody didn't do something and got put in there, you know, like, what have you, you know, you know, mm-hmm. Well, like I sent you um, in the DM, uh, right, I don't even know if you saw it, it's talking about, um, you know, kind of wanted to to relate it to your show a little bit. Uh, It talked about like veterans wrapped up in the criminal justice system. Uh, Yes, and that's a huge problem. 200,000 or something like that. Um, Almost 200,000. It could be more. Yeah, yeah. I know Matt has spoken about his time and was saying it was pretty big. Um, do, but you wanna, it's like, do you want to read that, what you sent me? Um, so I'm doing Zoom on my phone and I don't know if I'll exit it. Uh, okay. okay. I'll if read you want to read it? Yeah. Um, there are almost 200,000 veterans incarcerated in American prisons and jails. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, a third of those served in Iraq and Afghanistan. Two operations that have resulted in many, what many refer as invisible wounds, such as post-traumatic stress disorder and mild traumatic brain injuries. Uh, these cognitive disorders are known to increase drug usage and alcoholism, and tens of thousands of veterans or active members are incarcerated for drug possession or other misdemeanor crimes each year. And TBIs are really not that hard to get. Um, you don't have to mm-hmm. run over um, an IED or anything like that. Um, I think that goes a lot towards like the one thing that drives me crazy is the don't do the crime if you can't do the time mindset or yeah. you know, well, you shouldn't have been, you shouldn't have done. It kind of ignores, uh, you know, like what they call mitigating circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the, I mean, you come back home with PTSD, you start drinking, have trouble finding employment, all that kind of stuff. Like those things should matter when, if you just see a headline, like man kills grocery store clerk, like, of course he looks like a monster. And obviously I don't want to negate that he did hurt somebody. But if you think like, you know, of all those other circumstances, maybe throwing him in a cage where he has poor medical care and, you know, nobody really is concerned about actually making him, you know, heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like, it's not the best solution. <laughs> you might be more empathetic towards other, you know, things that could be done. Yeah. Yeah. And you see, you see it a lot on Twitter too, especially veterans when they, um, when they first become libertarians. <laughs> <laughs> rage (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people don't want to you know have the hard conversations about you know mass incarceration isn't just caused by nonviolent offenders there are violent offenders and how we handle that Mm -hmm. needs to be talked about too in something you know a lot of the poverty uh mental health the things that lead to kind of deprivation and all those other causes of crime yeah are important you, you can almost look at it like like with medic with medicine now instead of you know having to go through the surgeries and take all these prescription drugs and things like that what could you have done 
as preventative, you know, made better choice, you know, better choices mm-hmm. or been healthier, things like that. You know, a lot of the people today aren't taught about personal responsibility and taking pride in themselves. And, you know, some people are just in a shit situation and I get that, you know, and I don't, I don't know what to do in that situation. I only know my, you know, my personal um, stuff I've struggled with, but, mm-hmm. you know, what could we be doing instead of spending, you know, there is a state, there is taxes. It is what it is. It's the framework we're in. What if we're not spending all this money on, you know, multiple wars in multiple countries and, you know, we're not having to spend all this money. You know, we, we do things to help people to not go down that path mm-hmm. um, in the first place, possibly, or not have to have, you know, mental issues um, and injury, moral injury from serving in some of these wars um, to where you don't need to have the incarceration rate that we have. You a know, really good uh, podcast to lo- sorry go ahead no go ahead uh, <laughs> i kind of lost where i was going you jumped in at the right time um a really good podcast episode to listen to is uh bob murphy's like how rothbardian institutions will be peaceful and a part of that podcast that i think is like really important is he talks about how you know, obviously libertarian society or stateless society is not going to be perfect or utopian or anything like that no. but there are like for me like anybody tells me a story it's you know like the whole six degrees of separation like theory or whatever <laughs> i can find a way to blame the government like <laughs> yeah no matter a, what it is he talks not, about a lot of times it's not a stretch <laughs> no not at all so in that podcast he talks about some of the ways that uh in a stateless society crime will be significantly muted and like there's like the hard money thing so like no boom and bust cycles and um, mm-hmm less restrictions on adoption, um, no incentives to have children you can't afford. Uh, a lot of like the, the ways that like, you know, families are separated, like the war on drugs, um, things like that. All of these things are going to not be around. And so when we're talking about our ideals for the future, those are things to consider. Like, in a stateless society, the crime that we're talking about, it's not going to be so like pervasive. No. <laughs> and so when we consider solutions now, um, con- think working outside of the state is harder, but eventually it gets easier. <laughs> yeah. Jack Sparco had a really good episode on agorism and what it really is and things like that. And, a lot of people will say, well, you know, agorism, you starve the, you know, starve the beast. I'm like, you can't starve a beast that can print its own food. <laughs> it's <Sure>. just not. <laughs> now you should be doing it if it's in your best interest, regardless of, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, you know, agorism might make sense. It might not. It just depends on the situation. <laughs> it just depends on the situation, you know, but a lot of people just don't understand that, their day in and day out lives, they're already anarchists. You're doing, going about what your business about your day and doing stuff, not because anyone's saying you have to, you're just doing it because it's the right thing. There's like a huge, like, um, economic part of agorism, obviously. But for me, it's not just, um, you know, like 
a big part of revolutionary politics just in general is creating uh, like systems of support in your community that work to undermine the state. And I think um, like uh, giant organizations that can undermine police unions or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like somewhere, gosh, I think Arizona or maybe Texas, I think Dallas actually, they have something to where if somebody's suicidal, you can call them instead of the police. Like, I don't really know if that's considered agorism, but it's definitely something that undermines the state and like is subversive. I agree. And then, you know, that person will probably, you know, the suicide will probably be prevented instead of them getting murdered by the police for a welfare check. Yeah, it like was it like something like fifty percent of people that have involvement with the cops have like mental health issues or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something ridiculous. So really just like um there's this one abolitionist that I followed on Instagram and I can't really remember her name right now, but she has all these different solutions where like if this happens, like someone breaking into your car, you can call this place and they will not only, you know, get your restitution for you but like find this person who's breaking into the car the help he needs too because it's like a crime of poverty or whatever right sometimes it might just be people want to steal but usually it's a crime of poverty Um, so like all those things are like really important and subversive (laughs) yeah you're saying that about just wanting to steal i don't know you ever have you ever seen the show modern family uh some of it i think Oh, there's this one, the little kid named Joe. He looks like he's real cute little kid. Looks kind of a cartoon, but he had stolen like the ice bucket and stuff from the hotel, like all this stuff. He goes, <laughs> he goes, I steal now. It makes my heart go fast. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's just like that. Yeah. You're not going to, again, you're not going to stop like all of it, but uh, definitely uh, mute it significantly (laughs) well yeah well it's just yeah and there's a difference and the bureaucracy is good at checking boxes they're not they're not good at getting down to the you know what is and what isn't the issue um Mm -hmm. you know some people that might have a mental illness or like you said is a crime of poverty well there does need to be some restitution there but instead of throwing them in you know prison where they're now a tax burden Mm -hmm. um what if, you know, they did some sort of public service to help repay that person. And then, you know, you get them the help they need so they don't come back. They don't, you know, repeat. But if it's just some dick that likes stealing people's stuff, then yeah, that's the guy <laughs> yeah. that that's the guy that maybe this is that program's for, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was trying to find, um, I just completely forgot my entire thought. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm good at derailing. No, it was related to something you said. Oh, yeah. Uh, We have like a 62% recidivism rate or something like that. Yeah. You know, like if a business operated on the statistics, it would be like, if prison deterred crime, we'd live in the safest nation in the world, (laughs) basically. No doubt. And we don't. Right. Well, like how many, how many people are in jail because one person had a product and the other person had money and they thought it was valuable enough to pay for that product. And they exchanged and shook hands and walked away. But because somebody said that they don't like that thing, now they're in jail for like 20 years, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And of course 
obviously talking about drugs, but that could be anything. It could be anything. Dude got choked out for selling loose cigarettes for a dollar, you know, and mm-hmm. killed over that, over that, you know, is he's making $20 on a, uh, you know, a pack of cigarettes that he had to pay $10 for because the taxes were so freaking high, you know, especially stuff like that. When you're talking about gray and black market things, which, you know, is more of this agorism and we're on drugs, but that's still, you know, that's that one strand of the, the rope. That's the criminal justice system. But the government, the state itself in the beginning sets the table for all of this. You know, um, Mm -hmm. by creating the situations, you know, either for black market, you know, it's, it ties back into that whole perverse incentives thing. (laughs) It's (laughs) It's like the more the government interferes, the more lucrative the thing is, you know, if it was completely legal, then, you know, it wouldn't be in the back, you know, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read just like the opening um, paragraph of this article. Yeah. It's called the perverse incentives of punishment. And it just might give you like a little idea. It says Todd and Tricken. I have no idea if that's how you say that. Um, <laughs> the sheriff of a small Alabama County of Etowah. Again, I don't think I said that right. Recently that was, found that one was himself, right. I know that word. Okay. <laughs> Recently found himself in the national spotlight when an Alabama newspaper discovered that over the course of three years, he pocketed at least 75000 budgeted for feeding people detained in his county jail. While the inmates in his jail ate meat from a package labeled not fit for human consumption, the sheriff bought himself a, a 740000 beach house. All of it was seemingly legal thanks to a 1911 Alabama law that many sheriffs interpret to mean, interpreted to mean that whatever funds they don't spend in their jails, they can keep from the cells. That's insane, right? (laughs) Yeah. That's like the big perverse incentive of that article, but (laughs) crazy. (laughs) Like that's the most perverse. Yeah. And it happens. Um, I think uh, was an asset forfeiture is like another one. Like some yes. places have it, like they have like a budget for it or whatever, or they yeah. can, it adds to their budget or something like that. Yes, and that was um, that's why they always fight against that because there's some departments <laughs> that they'll say, well, if we get rid of civil asset forfeiture, then we can't we can't pay for our department. And it's like, well, maybe you're just because you're doing a whole bunch of shit you shouldn't be doing. Um, and see, that's the difference between criminal asset forfeiture and, and civil. Civil, they don't even have to make a case. They just have to accuse somebody of something and they can confiscate all their stuff. And here's another thing a lot of people, you know, um, um, the dude from 10th Amendment Center that does the, um, the Path to Liberty podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, what is his name? I just blanked on it. Michael Bolton. 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 Yeah. Bolton? Are you related to the singer guy? No. Um, (laughs) But uh, he talks about this a lot um, in a civil asset forfeiture. And um, 
you know, even if a locality, you know, state level, county level, if they pass something against it, a lot of them don't go far enough and, and basically forbid it to happen. Those counties can basically say, oh, well, it's a federal case now. And so basically the local police are now quote unquote deputized as federal agents acting on behalf of the federal government. So they're not even representing their county anymore. And so the state or the, the, you know, the federal at the federal level, they'll do civil asset forfeiture and then give the local um, municipality 80% of it. Mm-hmm. So basically there is like armed robbery and they're just splitting up the take. That's like another spot. Like, I don't know how big the impact of it is, but it certainly, it's just so wrong when you read about the individual cases, like, on the We Are Libertarians podcast, we talked about one where like an old man had his life savings confiscated just because his daughter had it with her in an airport. Like, it's, yes, they were on their way to buy a house or something. Yeah, it's just like the worst thing ever. Like, I don't know how, <clears throat> again, like it's not like hundreds of millions of people are impacted by it or anything, but still for the people that are, it's just devastating. Well, it happens quite a bit. It just never gets, you never hear about it because they're too busy, you know, covering what Trump said about people should mow their grass and eat the lawn clippings to prevent the virus or some stupid bullshit. <laughs> um, you know, if, if the media was honest and worth a damn, then they wouldn't need people like me and you talking about this stuff. They'd be doing it. Oh gosh, they, that's like a whole podcast of itself, like how the media just sucks. It's so in bed with, with uh, the police and that every, I mean, obviously there's another incentive there. If they, you publish bad stories about the police, you don't get the stories anymore. <laughs> you know? Exactly. And, you know, they always stand with the police. They always stand with you know, there's nothing the media likes more than uh, going to war. Mm-hmm. I know um, with the military, and maybe some listener can try and find this information, uh, like movies and TV shows, they have to get, if they depict the military, they have to get like special permissions or permits or something like that, you know? There's, like, there's an office in the Pentagon that handles that specifically. Do you, like, what I wonder is if it's the same for police, too, in TV shows. Because some TV shows, like, I just don't understand, like, Law and Order, which is, like, disgusting. Yeah. I don't understand the incentive to um, carry the water for police so hard. And I wonder if it's something similar, like, permits and... I would say definitely, especially, like, NYPD and Los Angeles, you know, and then L.A. Because um, every cop show is all about... NYPD or LA County Sheriff's or police department mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, even the CIA have an office, you know, in Hollywood um, that show Homeland was basically, oh, yeah. is basically written by them. Um, the new Jack Ryan, they, they actually said they talked about actually going to Langley and sitting down and then hashing out the whole script at, at Langley. And There's I tried, I tried watching that show and I'm like, this is such bullshit. <laughs> Cause I was, I was an Intel. I can't watch any of them anymore. <laughs> no. And, and I was an Intel guy 
And I'm just like, this is horseshit, man. <laughs> I'm like, that didn't even, that's not even true. That's no. <laughs> and then, and then when he came out and I'm, I'm like, and I told, looked at my wife, I'm like, this is a recruiting tool for the CIA. And she goes, what? I'm like, they wrote this. And she's like, oh, you're crazy. <laughs> when they came out and said it, John Krasinski came out and basically said that. And I showed her, I'm like, still think I'm crazy? <laughs> The um the creator whatever he is of cops so there's like this thread on Twitter I think I started it and then Matt Freeman added to it and then Rayford mm. Davis added to it and it's I like I love Rayford Davis I do too and like the thread and I love Matt and like the thread is just like really incredible because it goes into like cops is also used as like a recruitment tool oh, you know yeah. it'd probably be really cool to get Rayford Davis and Pat on a podcast to talk about like the show cops I bet they could like oh. have a lot of like um insight I think, there I think episode four with me um I did listen to that one because yeah. I really like those two they're probably two of my favorite people that do podcasts yeah. um I, I'm gonna try to get them on I love Rayford because he's very stream of consciousness and he he's one of those guess where I'm like well this is kind of why I had you on and then I just sit back and then like he'll stop and I'm like <laughs> oh this is my show oh, I forgot <laughs> I can send you notes for like crime reporting and that's what you should do a podcast with him about <laughs> oh <laughs> like, that'd be awesome yeah and you know what uh you can get Pat to talk about like his his time patrolling as an officer and Ray for Davis sure. too. but anyway we we're talking about cops and how yes. that show is like uh, a police recruitment tool and I don't know if you know this but the police have full editorial control like as a condition of their contract with that show mm -hmm. like um and then like if you think about like you've seen some of these things on cops like these people are like how embarrassing why would you ever give permission to do that well mm -hmm. sometimes they're promised more leniency in their sentencing or threatened with like harsher punishments <laughs> um they like there's this one guy who drugs were literally planted in the car and uh they still aired it like they cut it out and aired it and like even after the cop got in trouble for it they still like show it as a reruns and like Whoa. i mean yeah and um it just like wildly distorts the perception of crime and it's just it's uh that shows horrible like even don't even hate watch it because obviously advertisers don't care but <laughs> no i can't i can't watch any of that stuff anymore like at all you'll see stuff like there's this one commercial and the guy's like why should i let you in my house and she's like because i'm the chief of police i'm like mm -hmm. all right go get a warrant chief of police <laughs> i'm like oh gosh and people will cheer that shit on and i'm like that's not what you should be cheering on that's, that's it's like that's i think it's thing. by design like that the shows i think that i don't it's again like i don't know the incentive behind it but like it's like they want rights to be distorted like i can just picture what is it sadler is that the guy in law and order special victims unit which is like the worst show on tv and i hate it yeah i um, used to like that show yeah. <laughs> i used to like it too and now i'm just like ugh yeah that one's like if you get assaulted like there's literally no olivia benson who's going to help you <laughs> no. does not have nobody cares that much um but the guy in that show like all the time you know just breaking the rules to help oh the elliot and i'm like yeah him yeah yeah he's like he's always like beating picture. people up and stuff 
as like normalizing shitty police work and oh, rights yeah. violations. Oh yeah, and then she and then the the Benson is always like threatening people like. I'm going to make sure you get raped in prison. I'm like, so you're admitting that that stuff happens and you're using it as a threat. It's just <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. It kind of makes me want to go be a lawyer, even though I can't stand lawyers, but the, there's a, <laughs> there are some good ones that use their power for good. I'm going back to school in the fall for that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Cause I'm like, yeah. I, see, I see this stuff. I'm like, Oh, this is some bullshit. I can't let this stand. Yeah, like the shows are like they're um it like makes the system seem competent. It's kind of like they it's like how they want you to see the system, and they're just they're horrible. And people believe it. <laughs> and like yeah, oh gosh, yeah, I used to I used, I used to work in the firearms industry, and at this point I was at this time I was working at retail, and I'd hear people come in and just talk about stuff, and I'm like, what? And they'll just say what they were saying. Like, that's a movie. <laughs> not real. That's not a real law. That's not a real thing. No, it's just stop. And like, where did you even get that? They're like, so and so, it would be some TV show like Law and Order. I'm like, uh. <laughs> CSI is like one of them. It's Dude. like there's a piece of tape found and they were able to track the material to a, a tape vendor. And that tape vendor was able to like, track down the customer who got it yeah. and then you know they get their conviction it all you, makes it seem very fast and you give them a hundred years and they still couldn't figure that shit out yeah there's like a forensic in, files um, forensic files is as actually <laughs> i think they actually came out and said it's nothing but propaganda yeah like in my and this is before i started really like being tuned into all of it there's like a the delphi murders here in my state i don't know if you've heard about them i have uh, I, I can't remember exactly what a, what the details were but I, I know the name two teenage uh i guess like trigger warning but two teenage girls were like in the woods and they were like i know at the very least i think they were tortured and mm. it's like brutal murders um and it's like been three years and they really haven't they have like a small video of the guy, sound of his voice, and like in a TV show, it's been that seems like an open and shut case. Like, mm -hmm. oh, they've got this picture of him far away. They've got his voice. Like, they'll be able to track him down in a heartbeat. But no, like here it is, three years later, and the family still has no idea. Mm -hmm. And sadly, the the state will use instances like that to push uh, increased surveillance. Uh, yeah, they might have even on those trails, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. it, I think it gives people like a lot of false hope and they're really let down. It kind of sucks because like when something bad happens to somebody, they're a victim of a crime. They think they get immediate justice when it's like 60% of violent crimes and 40% of murders go unsolved. <laughs> and like if you mm -hmm. watch TV, you think, oh, there's no perfect murder. Well, apparently there's 40%. <laughs> right. And to me, that's where, you know, that's why we're always harping on victimless crimes. Like somebody sells something to somebody else. And it's, a, it's like, it's two voluntary interactions. You know, it's like nothing happens. It's just because somebody said that was a no, no thing. Well, if we weren't worried about that stuff, that would free up a hell of a lot of time to focus on things that matter. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, yeah. Like, um, let me find it really quick. Actually, it's like at the top of my notes. 
in 2018, there were 1,654,282 drug arrests. That's like a lot of resources. <laughs> tons. Yeah, it's and like the a, cost it's like a 19... of the war. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The, the cost of the war on drugs is 47 billion per year, like spent fighting that. Imagine like, obviously I don't want all that money going into increase, increasing like the state or whatever, but right, right. if it was focused on like catching actual people who hurt people, I mean, that's going to be a little better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, child trafficking, you know, rape, murder, you know, nap violations basically you know yeah i was looking it's like when it comes to like burglary it's like 10 percent that are solved it's oh, insane yeah. <laughs> well a lot of that too they're like oh you got homeowner's insurance yeah all right <laughs> too bad here's, here's a report go follow your thing and they're not gonna do shit about it of uh, the million six hundred fifty four thousand 600,000 just marijuana alone. Like, that's insane. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. For something that grows, whether we're here or not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) Yeah. And was also in the American uh, Journal of Pharmacology until, like, 1940. It's something that was good. It'll be interesting to see those numbers, like, even this year, which they might already be out um, because of all the states that, like, legalized. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people are saying, well, Trump's going to legalize it. I'm like, no, he's not. He's, they just <laughs> came out and said they're going to prosecute more than they ever have. He's bragging about the ATF, who are prosecuting more cases than they ever have. And I'm like, it's not your boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a jobs program, and that's I think all it is. He's it's, pretty it's, cozy with all those big union guys and police organizations. Oh yeah, I mean, it's hard to find anyone from New York that isn't. Mm-hmm. Well, especially New York City, I would say. Um, you get it. You get out of outside of New York City, and it gets more and more normal. Do you know something really interesting? I want to try and find it really quick. I, uh, I've i been reading this book on the creation of the Chicago police. Yeah. And there's like, even though the population is not like significantly higher, like it'll be really quick, fine. Sure. It said, um, it said that there are 1,200 Chicago policemen at the end of the 1880s is a small number compared with the big city police departments in the 20th century. At the end of 2010, the Chicago Police Department had 13,857 employees for a city less than three times as populous as the Chicago of 1890. In other words, Chicago today has more than four times as many police officers per person as in 1890. Isn't that insane? Jeez. It's literally a jobs program. 100%. Well, it's revenue generation, you know, mm-hmm. well, you can always go back to the, the, the creation of modern policing anyway. And it was, um, 
to catch slaves that were running away. Yeah, it's like, it's a really, I think this one's, this book's called, um, oh my gosh, I can't get to it. I'm sorry. It's like the right, the rise and again like I really don't mind reading like leftist books and stuff like that so mm-hmm. if it sounds a little commie don't judge me it's no, um I the mean, rise of Chicago Police Department class and con- conflict um mm-hmm. by Sam Matrini mm-hmm. it's really it's really cool to see like how it came about in different and like obviously the slave patrols are one thing but in some places it came about for other stuff like Chicago I think prohibition was a big um, <laughs> factor in expanding it. <laughs> oh, it exploded. <laughs> it was lit. There were like militias uh, raiding prisons to free tavern owners. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. And then once, once, um, you know, prohibition ended, well, you just don't get rid of a government program. Nope, they take so the cake. They, they never so get. They just made, <laughs> so they just made other stuff illegal. Yeah. And then you got the drug war. <laughs> uh, yeah, which is really just stupid. <laughs> yeah, and that's why you know talking about you know we had touched on um, civil asset forfeiture. Well, Joe Biden, who's running for president, or at least part of him is running for president. Um, he's the one who introduced that legislation in 1978. He's basically the father of civil asset forfeiture. He's horrible. Yeah. And then of course, Reagan ramped it up. Another really good book is, uh, the, um, the, from the war on crime, or I think it's for the war on crime to the war on pottery. Uh, poverty the making of mass incarceration mm-hmm. that's like a really good book um kind of talks about like all of the all of the pieces and how they fit together in like the bipartisanship of mass incarceration mm-hmm. like totally recommend that that's a good one I'm, and it I'm... really has been like very bipartisan nobody's any better than the other person when it comes to locking people in cages oh no because they all benefit from it even now it's more of like the far far left that's uh you know unless they're trying to pander like mayo pete did uh it's like the super far left that is fighting for reform actual reform not just closed private prisons which is a very small percent of the overall prison population it is it really is um yeah i mean holy crap uh, Kim Kardashian. Yeah. I mean, good honor. That's that's why what she's done so far is pretty rad. You know, um, she's liberated more people than probably most of the libertarians on Twitter. You know what I'm saying? I'm still not going to watch her show, but I'll clap for her. Uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I really think that that's where. You know, I think that this is. Let me let me try it in English. Um, this is this is a, where libertarians really can probably make the most impact. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because if you make enough noise, people will listen and people will listen to this about this kind of stuff too. Um, everybody loves a story where the person finally gets liberated from jail, you know, the, you know, innocent people, innocent person set free. People love to hear that about that kind of stuff. So I feel like more on the left and the right, you can, it's kind of easier to get people to pay attention. Maybe, I don't know. I could be wrong. And I don't think like it's, it should be a main goal, but a product of that sort of change is like, you know, there are bad, like libertarians get bad raps for um, racism and not really caring about the poor. Well, if they see you doing all of this work, maybe people will still spread those rumors about them being like racist and not caring about the poor, but there's going to be a significant amount of people like, Oh, you know, how'd you get out? Well, this organization called blah, 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 you know, paid my bail or they, you know, helped me like the innocence project, you know, nobody mm -hmm. hears about them and is like, Oh, they're racist and don't care about the poor. Yeah. Yeah. As people, cause it, it improves your image. Yeah. Well, it's like people I've never, you know, they'll be like, they'll try to make it a race issue. I'm like, it shouldn't matter. And it's like, well, you don't care. I'm like, no, I'm saying it should not matter about your race. It's that shouldn't be, be an issue is what I, you know, maybe some people just, it's hard to explain <laughs> coherent. Yeah. I've got issues with that too. I'm like, no, I'm saying I don't care <laughs> that you're black. I'm not saying that I'm not acknowledging that messed up shit happened. <laughs> I'm just saying that's shitty that that's even an issue. I think that sometimes like when it comes to, our, the criminal justice system is racist. Like that's undeniable. But when it comes to bringing some people on board, if you start there, they're just going to immediately put up a wall. Like they don't really like, Oh, we're talking about this again. Instead of, you know, just you talk about exactly like what's wrong with the system and right. maybe they're going to be more likely to listen. <laughs> I would say so just because, you know, just like the word racist, and Nazi and things like that. It's been so politicized and used so incorrectly that people just will shut off whenever they hear it. Mm -hmm. I do. It's like not I'm like someone will say something, you know, Oh, well that person is just racist. And I just immediately roll my eyes. I don't even know if it's true or not. I'm just, <laughs> I just heard it like 8,000 times in the last 10 years or more. And it's just like, you know, people will just not pay attention as soon as they hear those words. Yeah. Because you know, that's why I hate politics. <laughs> it politicizes every little thing. And it's just like you get to that boy who cried wolf situation when it really happens. Mm -hmm. And when a, a real racist or a real Nazi is the issue, people are going to pay attention because they're like, oh, here we go again. So. It's kind of like, um, I don't know if you've ever worked retail, but it's kind of like know your customer, like mm -hmm. when you're talking to people, maybe being a complete dick might work getting them to listen to you, unlikely, mm -hmm. but maybe. Um, if it's somebody from the right, if you approach them from, you know, like, oh, it's racist, that's why we need to fix it, they might not listen, but if you're like, that's immoral. Oh, they're they're taking your property, whether you're guilty or innocent. And then yeah. maybe their ears are going to perk up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "What? You ain't gonna take my stuff? <laughs> Damn it!" You know? Yeah. No, yeah. I get that. Or like like with the Corona thing, like it's starting to happen in 
suburbia and now people are caring. So I think like that's, that was like the point of the We Are Libertarians episode I did with uh, Chris Fangle. Like we dragged him in with a clickbait title and then it was like, okay, so this actually happens all the time. It's just not in your neighborhood. <laughs> right. Yeah. They put a license plate scanners at the entrances of my neighborhood and I'm not happy about that. Oh gosh. I brought it up. Oh, that's like a big reform, like big reform, like, um, to try and like always like hammer down, like no new tech for police. They don't need it. It only ever serves to even, um, body cameras. It only ever serves to embolden the police, like Mm -hmm. only helps them. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. All that technology has come from, um, our wars overseas. Mm -hmm. Um, and the empire always comes home. That's what a lot of people are like, Oh, we need to fight them over there. Da, da, da. I'm like that. No, that's, that's something you heard on TV. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It all being over there brings it over here. Um, <laughs> the militarization all, of SWAT is like the prime example. <laughs> rise of the warrior cop, you know? And, uh, yeah, because we were that's we were running stingrays and doing all that stuff over there, and now we're doing it here. <laughs> um, Do you know if Jared from Biting the Bullet listens to your podcast? Um, if he doesn't, he sucks. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, he, I was going to talk he, about. <laughs> he might. He might. We talk. <laughs> Don't let yourself get triggered, but I'm going to say. <laughs> um, Look at all the tanks that we have over here because of uh, the war over there. Oh, yeah. He doesn't like when I call them tanks. (laughs) I don't get triggered. (laughs) I'm a bit older than Jared, so. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, yeah, all the Bradleys. And, yeah, there are some tanks that are sitting there, and there's some, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that just don't use anymore. I've been doing some, like, uh, for like a future podcast I'm doing with We Are Libertarians, looking into those militarization programs. And that's another place where those incentives are just, they're there to suck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And here's the funny thing is that all of the armored equipment that were in the tracked, you know, especially large tracked vehicles, things like that, M1 Abrams that we can't use, you know, they don't work good in Afghanistan because of the train. They, they don't work in Iraq because of the cities. And so, and most of them, most of them didn't work at the begin with. Most of them were all deadlined anyway. Um, that's why you like, you'll see someone goes, Oh, look at these tanks. And like someone will go, I bet half of them don't even work. You know, <laughs> you always hear some veteran say some stuff. Cause it's true. They're still making them though. Do you know, um, even though they're not uh, needed for the mission, or whatever, or they're not even being used, they're still making them. I don't know if you know Seaburn Boob Boy, but he was talking about how like when certain equipment breaks, they just don't don't do anything about it. <laughs> no. No, it, it's um whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot of silly stuff. A lot of silly stuff. Um it is. But if we, um, it, I guess, unrelated to the military stuff, I don't really, I can't really give you a bunch of solutions for that. I'm sure they're out there, but uh, I don't have them like I do for like the police. 
it's all sucky, but there are so many ways that we can help if we just stop looking for perfect solutions, you know, Mm -hmm. baby steps, you know, a step, a step, a baby step in the right direction is still a step in the right direction. So, you know, we didn't get this way overnight. We're not going to fix it overnight. Right. Let's talk about um, how capitalism kind of helps mass incarceration. No, I'm just kidding. It's corporatism. Yeah. <laughs> I want yeah. to trigger your audience for a second. No, it is. No, it's. And it, it, you want to say, well, it's not real capitalism. You sound like an ass because you're like, because they're like, well, it's not real socialism. And it's like, no, it is. All the time. It's like, no, that is real socialism. That's why it doesn't work. Well, what about capitalism? Well, no, this is corporatism. It's different. <laughs> and they're like, well, these big corporations. I'm like, yeah, who are put up by big government? I'm like, you realize that big government mm-hmm. is big business and vice versa. And that's what happened. And think the Rockefellers. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of sucky stuff that came out of that. But that's, you know, that was that was a booming business for corporatism and uh, they just don't understand that like the most of the reasons why, you know, the corporation is, you know, wherever that they want to paint with that boogeyman brush, but just why is it so hard for small businesses and stuff? Cause there's laws written in favor <laughs> that favor large corporations. It's like, just look at this COVID lockdown thing. You ever noticed how the biggest um, tax cattle companies in the country didn't get shut down? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like your Walmarts, mm-hmm. your Targets, Home Depots, Lowe's, all those got to stay open um, while your small, small business hardware stores had to shut down. Um, you know, I saw it's like Trump meets with um, restaurant executives from, you know, Chili's and that, I'm like, you know, that's who got the bailout stuff. It wasn't, you know, you know, Nina's coffee house down the street. She didn't get shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got, you know, Starbucks got bailout money, you know, Chili's, Applebee's, they all got, you know, these huge corporations that help write laws to, you know, it's not for the greater good course i hate that i hate that um saying too (laughs) for the greater good is the battle cry of every tyrant (laughs) yeah but it's just you know on one side it's you know big government's the problem but they want to use government to make small government which doesn't work and then uh the other side will identify the problem, but then their solution is more government, but they don't understand that it was government that created the problem in the first place. So that's a tricky one to get around to get people to understand. <laughs> yeah. What well, like the government creates and maintains the conditions that lead to basically everything that sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at the ATF. That should be a convenience store. <laughs> You know, instead they're the fun police. Um, yeah, I mean, you just look at the, this, the arbitrary uh, laws that are in place. You know, I was a home brewer for a long time and I was looking at starting my own like small brewery. Just the hassle and the money that it takes to get the licensure and like all that stuff. And like for each, like if say if I was going to come up 
with like an IPA, I have to submit all of that to the ATF and to the state just to, for them to say if I can or can't in the, a friend of mine wanted to open a bar in the, in the uh, next County over. And just the liquor license was like $15,000 a year on top of everything else on top of all the taxes and stuff, you know, for someone that's just wanting to start an independent business, that's really hard, but you get Applebee's come and pay it. No problem. <laughs> yeah. I work in um, education and all of our, and it's uh, a, it's like healthcare related hmm. um, us and like all of our, I guess, peer schools, and all of the places we work with all have offices just for like government compliance. Like, because mm-hmm. there's just so much and like a small time place they could, I mean, you have to have at least one or two people right. um, for us. It's too like just to keep up with all the new rules and regulations. And then like, you have to constantly, because like, if there's a rule change, like this past year, there was like a massive, like, um, regulation that they added they didn't tell any of us like it's not like we were sent a notice or anything we just had to uh first we heard it from students asking questions and it was like okay well I guess maybe I should read it like oh okay well that would have been nice to know Mm -hmm. yeah was it insurance related uh well that was one of them yes yeah insurance related and the other was uh just with one of the rules that the students need uh, became mandatory for us to fulfill instead of the students. So, mm. wow, <laughs> huge! It was a huge deal. Yeah, it's it's almost like I just want to say when there's entire industries dedicated just to government regulation, and then you know, um, don't you think there's probably too much government? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, though, that's like an incentive not to change it. Like, oh, you abolish the government. Like, how many jobs are you going to lose? Like, well, then they can get real jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't tell them that, though. <laughs> You'll get harassed. <laughs> I told a cop that on Instagram. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> it's like, he did like a TikTok video, and it was just like a little drive-by insult. Like, oh, get a real job. Yeah. It was kind of rude, not usually my style, but <laughs> it trying, was not. I'm great. trying to get better about that, but sometimes I'll just, <laughs> just, you know what really grinds my gears, you know, <laughs> just like, I, I was like, it's the meme. It goes, I'm not going to say anything. And then it's like the next uh, frame is like, you know what? It's going to kill me if I don't. <laughs> oh, that's exactly how this was. Like he was mocking people with like handcuffs in his car and like, Oh gosh, I was like, you know, somebody sent it to me. I thought, I'm just going to ignore it. And I was like, 10 minutes later, I'm like, you know what? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And I paid for it dearly. Um, I like went to bed and then I woke up in the morning. I had like 12 message requests and I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, cops tend to be kind of sensitive people. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Uh, is there anything else that you want to touch on? Uh, not that I can think of. I'm sure there's tons of stuff we could, but okay, nothing I'm organized. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I, yeah, this is kind of short notice, so I appreciate it. 
Um, do you want to go ahead and do some, do some plugs where people can find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at small crimes with a Z. Uh, that's about it. I, uh, did the emotion podcast for a while. So if you want to hear some more episodes, go check them out. Not doing it anymore. Um, the podcast with We Are Libertarians that I'm pretty proud of is called Policing the Pandemic. Go check that out. Um, that's about it. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, today's Memorial Day. And um, if people really want to honor veterans or the people that have fallen, which is that's what Memorial Day is for. Um, let's stop making more of them. Mm -hmm. That's the best way as a veteran. That's what I say. <laughs> I'll, I'll use that qualifier too. <laughs> as a veteran, I think we should end all wars. So yeah, I'm not a veteran, but in the war still, <laughs> there you go. That's pretty universal. All right, Mel. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Anytime. Anytime.